Hello everyone, this is the Audience Explorer, a podcast for you as a founder or creator who wants to develop an audience for your product or service. I'm Matthias Bohlen. Today's guest is Brandon McAdams. He's the co-founder of Expertscape, a startup in the healthcare domain. He's also an expert in sales and coaches startups in how to sell well. And as if that wasn't enough, he's a book author who currently develops a special audience for his second book. So nice to meet you here, Brandon. It's good to be here, Matthias. Thank you. To get started, let's hear a little bit about yourself and your backstory. What is it that you typically do these days? Well, I'm in a couple of different areas. I've been in business-to-business -business sales for the last, well, a long, long time in telecom and then financial services and then for the last 20 years in, in healthcare. Mm -hmm. and, and then in the last, for the last decade, I've been doing consulting work with Uh, healthcare technology companies, helping them with sales and marketing, with strategy, messaging, and with sales ah, execution. Okay. And and then the other the other kind of path I've been going down is with a, a business uh, buddy of mine. We've co-founded a company called Expertscape that identifies and then objectively ranks medical experts by specific topic. And it uses PubMed as the underlying data for those results. And it and by doing so, it, we can identify the top people in over 29,000 different biomedical topics. This PubMed thing, is it a, a publication? Uh, it sounds like medical publications. It is. And PubMed is part of the National Institute of Health. It's their library. Any medical publication of any consequence gets entered into that database and, and indexed. And then we take that data from PubMed and then we massage it and analyze it and then come up with a set of results that are specific to each condition. Ah, and what can a user do on your platform? For Expertscape, it's, it's, there are a number of different people that use it. Ideally, nobody, hopefully nobody has to use it because when you go to it, it's because you've got a serious medical condition. Okay. You've been diagnosed or you think you've been diagnosed with a certain condition and you need to have someone, an expert in that condition to advise you. Healthcare consumers, patients could use it to mm -hmm. find someone. Physicians oftentimes use it as a way to get a referral to a, an expert. A primary care physician identifies someone as having a serious condition. It's not in their particular area of expertise and they want to refer them to somebody else. And it's excellent for that. Oh, okay. And and then attorneys use it, research fellows use it to find collaborators. There are a lot of potential users. Mm -hmm. Patients, attorneys, primary, uh, how do you say that, primary? Primary care physicians. So the, primary the, care the person you see yeah. on a regular basis, yeah. It's a kind of heterogeneous audience, right? You have t t people in yeah. different oh. roles with different needs and different... Yes, uh, yeah. The two primary are patients and physicians. Those are the two mm -hmm. primary. But then there are a bunch of other folks that might use that. Pharma companies use it to find physicians that are what they call key opinion leaders. So it has lots of applications. Amazing. Yeah, there's nothing else really like it. It's pretty clever and it's been up and running for a while. And a couple of years ago, we started monetizing it. And by doing so, we're developing audience there too. <laughs> hmm. 
So it's already running for a couple of years. How come that you had the idea for this platform? My partner ran into a situation. He's a physician. Mm -hmm. And he ran in a situation where one of his relatives was diagnosed with a serious condition. And as a Johns Hopkins trained physician, he thought it would be easy to find someone in that in a, you know, a field based on his network of people. And it turned out to be quite a struggle to find someone who was knowledgeable about a topic who could give a second opinion in it so happened to be in Chicago. And that was the, the genesis of the idea. Like, how do we fix this? Is there a way to do this? in a way that's rigorous, comprehensive, and objective. The best data source at the time was uh, PubMed, and still is. Because every journal, every entry that goes in is peer-reviewed. There's a reliability to it. Yeah, it's a reliable data yeah. source yeah. with a good reputation, I think. Yeah, it does, yeah. So uh, the main trigger was, as it seems, the, the itch that your co-founder had. Yeah. This, how do I find someone, right? He's trying to solve his own problem. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That's always a good thing. I always advocate to to be part of the thing you are creating, right? You, you have skin right. in the game, so to say. Yeah, it's well, you certainly understand it. You understand it immediately. And you so it's easier for you to kind of identify the obstacles, the issues, the desired outcome, those sorts of things. It's a good strategy. Yeah. Cool. In, in our conversations previously, before the podcast, you, you told me that you're also a book writer besides. Well, I've always wanted to write a book and I just thought it was one of those things you should do. It's, you know, I wanted to do. And so I wrote a book on sales fundamentals just a little over a year ago, year and a half ago called mm -hmm. Sales Craft. I've been taking notes on sales for years and just writing down little, little practices and habits and, and things that I do that I think are kind of fundamental. Because I think most of what you do is based on kind of fundamental techniques and mm -hmm. so forth. So I wrote that book and, and there's some lessons for me in that. And that is that one of them was how it helps to have an audience. I didn't really have an active audience when I launched the book. It's done okay. It's done fine. It sold a few hundred copies, but it hasn't taken off. So I'm now determined to write another book. In fact, I've got a book coming out March or April of this year. So my goal now is to spend some more time investing in the development of an audience. And that's why, that's how we got connected. Ah, that's how we got together. Okay, yeah. nice. So how would you call those people who will read your book? What's their role name? What do they call themselves? This next book, it's kind of a user manual for people that want to get into freelance sales. And, and there's this notion of the gig economy or going out on your mm -hmm. own. And I've been doing that for the last decade as a salesperson, as a sales professional. And what people have done is they typically hired me for the last 10 years to basically augment their sales efforts or be their salesperson. What I found is that oftentimes starts out as simply being uh, a representative for them. And then it turns into something much more, you know, helping them with strategy, helping with messaging, helping them with and so forth. So this next book is about how to help someone who's thinking about going out on their own and being their self-employed salesperson. How come that you have these two things, right? You were, you were doing sales <laughs> since 10 years or what, yeah. and you're also founding a startup. How, how does that mix and match? Uh, it's a, there's the challenge, right? Expertscape has been something that we've been working on in the background for several years. 
It's bootstrapped. It's entirely bootstrapped. We've taken no money yet. We've been generating revenue now without any outside funding. And and so in parallel, Congratulations. Doing, yeah. well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and it's started to really take off. Things are looking very encouraging. But in parallel, I have to keep doing something else to fund the, the startup. And that's where the consulting comes in. Hmm. So the sales expertise that you have will also help you in the startup. Oh, correct? absolutely. In fact, that's that's been one of the big advantages that, that one of the things that's been kind of fascinating about my partner is really very talented and very smart in certain areas. It so happens that I'm talented, if you will, in other areas. And the, that combination works out really well. I happen to be particularly effective at sales. And he is not, and I, he's really good at application development and I am not. So it works out quite well. All my experience has really been in B2B sales and a lot of it to healthcare. It's been really helpful in terms of being able to sell into these academic medical centers, which is one of our primary markets. I've got experience in that area and I've got experience selling into pharmaceutical companies. And those are two key markets for us. Mm -hmm. So when you think of your startup, how did you find your very first member of your audience? How did you get in contact with the first man or woman who were interested in your, oh. in your startup? Oh, oh, that's kind of fascinating. What I, what I did was I went after physicians and I would talk mm. to physicians that were highly ranked in, in Expertscape. And, ah, you reached and out to them. To them and said, hey, you happen to be one of the world experts in this topic. And, and we'd love to talk to you. And I ta I've talked to a lot of physicians over the years as a result of that. And then eventually one of those physicians said, you know what, we, we should use you. And which was kind of our suggestion as well. And, and yeah, as sure. a result, after some considerable effort, we got our first customer through that, that academic medical center by having a physician as a champion. One of the things that I've learned about selling to academic medical centers, at least for us, has been I can go and sell to the marketing people, but they we're not we're new and scary and small. Mm -hmm. And so they would rather stay with uh, their you know, their other options, what they're doing today. They don't want to do anything new and risky. And yeah, and, yeah. But a physician, but the physician comes along and says, hey, we want you to do this for our department. They listen. They think, oh, I be better make this doctor happy or his department happy. He or she is generating X number of millions of dollars and X number of cases and et cetera, et cetera. I better, uh -huh. you know, I better listen to them. And then we get in talk to the marketing people, come up with a compelling, you know, story and a compelling strategy mm -hmm. for them. And value then that's yeah. where the yeah, value proposition. And that's when the that's when things start to take off. Yeah. Interesting. So the marketing people are kind of uh, risk averse when I understand that correctly. And the experts, the, the, the medical experts are kind of more focused on uh, what you really do. Yeah. And, and that's that's especially true. I think that's true in companies in general and B2B companies in general is risk aversion is a, a fundamental obstacle to overcome. Mm -hmm. And it is mm -hmm. especially true in healthcare because so many of the big healthcare companies, their trajectory is well-established. They, they know what they're going to do. I mean, they know 
where their revenue is coming from. They're they're established. It's hard to displace a, a large insurance company or a large academic medical center. They're they're going to stay around. And so anything new is somewhat scary because they're the chances of it improving things significantly are somewhat slim, but the chances of it turning into a failure are, you know, substantial potentially. And mm-hmm. that's, that's something you really, it's fundamentally important to overcome. Yeah. That, if, that, if you're that small, obstacle. then people think, oh, are these guys reliable enough? Will they be around for a long time? Can yeah. I rely on them? And all these yeah. questions, right? Yeah. And it's also, it's also a new idea. It's something different oftentimes. And if it's different, yeah. It's 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 inherently risky because oh we haven't done it before you haven't done it with anybody else I mean where else have you done this with success and it really takes a unique customer to say oh I want to test this out it's not that expensive you know I can manage the risk these guys are these these people have convinced me that they can do it and if if you can overcome those things then you can get some adoption but but the idea new ideas are are oftentimes scary and that's especially true in healthcare. Interesting. And when you think of your first book, uh, how did you find your first reader, the first person who purchased it? I spent some time talking about it on LinkedIn and I published some things on LinkedIn. I relied on friends. Friends talked about it. Friends promoted it. I guess that's that's how it kind of took off. It didn't take off, but I mean, that's how I got going. Okay. Yeah. So you you published kind of early information about it, yeah, what the book was about, what's in, in it, and so yes. on, and got people interested like that. Yeah. And there, I did have some kind of early success. And one of the things, uh, a couple tips that I can share that I think were really helpful is in Am- with Amazon, I'm not, and I'm, I have some opinions about Amazon too, but, but with <laughs> Amazon, you, uh, you, it, it, if you can find a niche, a, a title niche, a category niche that's small enough, and then promote the book in that niche, you have a chance to become, you know, a, a hot hot book of the week topic, or you can be a bestseller, you know, at, at some point. Mm-hmm. And I was able to identify a niche. And, and then that got me to the, it was one of the top books in Amazon for a couple of weeks. And so that's a kind of an important thing. And that really drove for me in the early going sales, because if you picked, if you picked as a niche sales in mm-hmm. Amazon, mm-hmm. it is really hard to break through into the top new books category because you're de- you're competing with some brand names that are just, you know. Yeah. Some real household so names, so to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if you can find a niche, you can, you can do, you can do okay, at least for yeah. a while. Yeah. That that's interesting for me. I ask everyone on the podcast, how did you find your first uh, uh, member of your audience? Because sometimes it seems so hard to me. When I started out with with this product here, get the audience. Yeah. It's a SaaS system where yeah, you can sure. learn about how to engage, how to find your audience, how to understand them, how to select the first people whom you want to work with. It's all kind of that on Twitter. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I started out and said, hey, how, how do I find the first people who want to use that? I had in mind a certain persona, yeah. let's say a startup founder or yeah. a creator, yes. a creator yeah. like you, for example, like a book author or yeah. like a podcaster or a blog writer or yeah, right. a reporter, uh-huh. etc. Sure. And I, I thought, how do I reach those people? But I think this is already the first step thinking about who is it? 
uh, what do they call themselves? Yeah. This this persona development thing. Sure. Was it in your case simply in, intuitive because you were one member of that audience, or was it explicit? Was it deliberate? Did you for really the first, think about for the book? It? For the first book, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I I, I I guess I imagined, and I, I don't know that I went through as rigorous a thought process as, as you would have, <laughs> Matthias, but I guess I thought about it from the standpoint of what would I find useful in a book about sales if I were, you know, just starting out. One of the things I do is I, I'm a kind of a voracious reader on the topic. I just, I'm curious about it. I'm always looking for new little tips and ideas. And so I, I will pick up a book, buy a book and on the, on a topic. And if I find two or three meaningful things that I can take out of it, mm -hmm. then I feel like I've gotten my, I've gotten my value. I've gotten, I'm happy. And so what I wanted to do is kind of put together a compendium of, I think it's 50 different things that, that I thought were, were kind of fundamental tips and, And a salesperson that's just starting out, or that's or that's constantly looking to up their game, or would would find this appreciate would would appreciate it because it's a book that that you can sit down and read for five, you know, five minutes, and you you can read a chapter in three to five minutes, and then oh, it's a thing I can get my head around that I can apply it, and then I can do another one, and I can pick the book up at any point in time and read it at any point, and it's it's useful. It's it's almost like a reference. And, and I find those sorts of books very helpful. So I thought right. I'd write so one like it. Of tips, if you will, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 to use a sporting analogy, I guess, would be good athletes work on fundamental aspects. You know, they're always working on like footwork or positioning on the field, where they need to be. And those things are a, are a su substantial part of your success. I mean, it just fundamentals. If you get your footwork right, those things, if you can get those right, then it makes everything else kind of easier to do. Okay. And it just increases your odds of success. And, and if you make those kind of second nature, and then you practice them consistently and well, that's a big part of what sales is. I don't think sales is, you know, a gift. I think sales is something that you can learn. And And there are ways you can get better at it. And a lot of it is the fundamental components of it. And so I wanted to, I wanted to be able to share that with people because I think, I think people overcomplicate sales as a craft. And I, I don't think it's as, as complicated or as difficult as people oftentimes make it out to be. Yeah, I, I usually thought it was difficult because I'm kind of an introvert person. I'm an engineer working on yeah. problems. I'm a typical problem solver. Yeah. And when I try to make sales and go out into the market, it feels odd for me because it's it's it requires a kind of extroversion, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And the funny thing about that is is and this is one of the things I'm doing more is I'm I'm doing some coaching with founders now and uh -huh. and technical founders in particular and the thing about them is is they they have that kind of perspective and and i think there are ways to alleviate that because so much of good sales is process and to use a programming term it's routines right you still have to be a human being but there are certain things that you can do that would make the process much more digestible if you will okay. to a kind of an introvert because a lot of it is 
is sales is very logical. One of the things that I think a, a huge disservice has been done to sales as a craft is this notion that, that I can just force you to buy something. I fundamentally don't think that's true. I take a much more, if you will, a Zen-like approach to it. That is, it, if you're selling to the right people, it's a very natural process. And it's very, mm-hmm. it, it's very logical. And I think we oftentimes lose sight of that. And this notion that I tweeted once a little while ago about how if you run into someone who says they can, that so-and-so can sell anything to anybody, steer clear of that person, right? That's just, that, that's a bad, that you don't want to be, that's, that's just fundamentally not, not how sales should work. So anyway, that's selling. It. How do we say in German selling refrigerators to Greenland? Yes. I, I used to, I, I used to Eskimos, right? Or something, right? Yeah, same, same thing. Can, yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah. I think sales should be more like like helping to buy, right? You yeah. should, should help the customer to purchase something. Yeah, yeah. I have a in the, in this last book, I have a I have a chapter called "Killing Your Deal," and at some point or at multiple points along the sales cycle, you you need to be prepared to ask the sort of questions that could kill your deal. the The result of that is if you do that and do it effectively. It's, it's incredibly disarming to the customer because they, they're expecting you to try and cram this thing down their throat. <laughs> they're, they're trying to force you. And now here you are saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at this, we're in this point in the sales cycle. And here are the things that, I, that come up to me that where, where things could go wrong or where, you know, we're not, there may not be a good fit. And, and then the customer either has to agree with you or they have to argue against you, right? And and if they agree with you, then you're qualifying, right? Uh-huh. Right. If they agree, yeah, you're right. I don't think this could work. Now you know. Now you know where you stand. And the other option is they say, no, no, you don't get it. We here we can overcome this. Here's how. And then they find that they're on the same side of the table with you, trying to explain to you. Well, yeah, this is an obstacle, but here's how we're going to overcome it. You know, and this well, is how that's even better because oh, they, they solve their own problems. Absolutely. And that's and that's completely genuine because you you want to find that those things out. And and if it's right. not a fit, I think you're wasting your time trying to sell someone something that's not going to benefit from it. And you're better off going somewhere else. That's maybe naive, but I fundamentally believe that that's what good salespeople do. Amazing point of view. I like that. And it's liberating for a, like for a founder because a founder can say, you know, I think the last place you want to be is, oh, I have to win this deal. Yeah. I just oh, have that's to. Awful. Because yeah. when you're there, you're really at a disadvantage. In a lot of ways, you can make a bad decision. You, you could end up with a customer that you don't want. And there are definitely situations where people sign up customers that you're better off having your competitor get. And And it's it's counterintuitive, but it makes such sense because good customers are, I mean, they can absolutely accelerate your growth and your success and your adoption in the market. And and conversely, a bad customer can slow everything down to a to a halt. Right. They they uh, consume energy. Right. They yeah. consume your energy. Yeah. That's right. That yeah. you need for something else. Yeah. A question for you. Recently, sure. when it comes to audience development, I thought about kind of a repeatable process for developing an audience. And I found one interesting thing, just 
question to you whether it resonates. I found out that it's good to think of an audience like a party, uh, a party oh. that's already going on without you. And the audience is already out there having their party. And what you want is find them and join the conversation. Take a glass of wine and join it. And therefore, when, when f founders or creators ask me, where do I find them? I advise and say, look where they're hanging out. Who are their idols, for example? Idols. Which book authors do they follow? Or which conference do they go to? Or which blogs yeah. do they read? Which podcasts yeah. do they listen? Yeah. And then follow the, the people who follow the idol, right? Yeah. These yeah. fans have a they yeah. Have yeah. idol and yeah. you can follow them. Uh, do you think that's a viable strategy? Oh, yeah. That it, in fact, that's a that's a lovely metaphor for it too. I mean, I really think that's a great way to describe it. You've got coming up as a guest, you've got Arvid, right? Yeah, so, right. And there, that's a perfect example for me. I mean, I I want to reach founders, and I want to reach, I want to reach founders in, at one level, and and so there's a there's a fellow who's who's having a very big party. Oh wow! Yeah, he's the host Arvid's of a very a big party. Right? He's having he's the host of a very big party, and he seems like a very and he's a tremendous, generous host. And so I'm frankly really looking forward to listening to your your interview with him. So, yeah, it will take some time, and I'm looking forward to that. Oh, I'm yeah. looking for I am too. I really am. So uh, <laughs> you know, make sure you watch, watch listen to that episode. <laughs> yeah, cool. So the party analogy. Um, if you think of your next book, what would be the party that's already going on where you want to join with that book? Oh, this is this is fascinating question because this is a big potential audience. And so how do you reach them? And I, I would welcome your advice on this. So my audience is, for this next book about freelance sales, is about, I want to find salespeople who are interested in this migration towards, the, I, the gig economy is kind of a bad phrase, but being a solo entrepreneur yeah, and your own I, boss, right? Yes. Your own boss. Yeah, and I think I think in the past, this idea notion of, and I'm not crazy about the term freelance, but that's it's it's so well accepted. But freelancing has been big in graphic arts for a long time, and and right. being being a, an outsourced human resources person or an outsourced attorney is completely normal in the United States. I don't know how it is in oh, the rest of the world, okay. but but and and but the idea of being an outsourced or a freelance a uh, salesperson for a company is not yet that well established, but it's going to be. There's situations where a company is growing, a startup's growing, and all of a sudden they they need two or three more people. And how do you get them right away? And how do you know that they're talented and they're, they've got experience in that niche? And that's that's exactly the market I'm going after. So the people I want to read this book are people that are in sales, have been in sales for a long time and think, I'm tired of the frustration of going to work for a company and then having to change and so forth and, oh. and then not knowing what, what the company is going to be like and the comp plan changes and my territory changes and I have no control over. Right. I have less, no control. And this notion of companies taking care of you as an employee is really long out of fashion in the United States. And, and the, the companies just, they're a place to go to work. And there are really good ones to work for. And by all means, if you're at one of those, 
stay there. But but in a lot of cases, I mean, this notion that you have security at a company is just it's a notion. It's not yeah, it's, it's not, not borne so out by the facts. Yeah. No, not anymore. No, not for a long no. time. So the party you're trying to join are salespeople who are trying to liberate themselves from yeah. the corporate environment. Yeah. What books would they read right now without your book existing? Ooh, that's an excellent question. I'm thinking I'm thinking in terms of magazines, maybe more. Magazines, they're, they're for reading, example. Maybe yeah. magazines are reading Entrepreneur. They're reading, I don't know, Fast Company. They're reading uh -huh. Wired, maybe Fortune. You know, mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. guess. Yeah. yeah. So one first idea could be to find the Twitter accounts of these five publications that you yeah. mentioned. Yeah. And look at those followers and their bios. What are they talking about? Yeah. Right. So that's, this would be one one first idea. That, that's a great cool. idea. I'm doing also some writing for some various other public other blogs. And, and so I'm, I'm doing some some guest contributor articles. Oh, for, also cool. So, you know, Get so that's reader feedback from there. Yeah. But it is uh -huh. it's a challenge. So that's why I was so fascinated by your kind of strategy around driving an audience because it is so fundamentally important. And, and absolutely, uh, you know, it makes everything much easier if you have an audience to talk to, uh, yeah. especially if you're not sure, for example, like a startup founder, they are not sure about their value proposition. Right. And they can right. talk to the audience, they can have feedback and they can learn from them. It's yeah. so amazing what you can learn from an audience. Yeah. And, and, and the advice I would give, I mean, and this is, I've learned this the hard way is that is I should have started a long time ago. You should start now. If you, you know, if you, yeah. <laughs> if that's what you want to do, you should start immediately because it is a, it's a, it's, it does inform you. It, you know, your audience can kind of teach you so many things and, and then you can see what their requirements are, what they're looking for. And then, And then potentially you can create the thing that they need and solve a problem for them. Yeah. When you think of the future, what what will happen this this year for you and your tra tra trajectory? Ah, sorry. English, ah, second sorry, language. That's actually, yeah. <laughs> so on, on, on there are two different fronts. There's a there will be a book this March or April will come out, and so that that's next. That's a launch, and then and then I'm continuing to do more work in kind of sales consulting with small startups and early stage founders. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm doing some more of that. And, uh, and on the expertscape front, we're, we're kind of poised to really have a kind of a big year. I mean, the pandemic slowed things down for us for a period of time because <laughs> yeah. academic medical centers basically stopped doing anything marketing wise and focused on COVID. And that's starting to come back around. And now they're starting to get back to operating in a normal function. And, and we're doing a bunch of new things and a bunch of new innovations that are coming out this year for us. So we're really excited about that. This is going to be a big year for me with Expertscape in particular, because I think we're starting to really generate more traffic and, and get more adoption. And that's only going to increase in this next year. So it's good. It, looking forward to it. Cool. This sounds like a like a good good future to come, and I wish you very much success with it. Well, Matthias, thank you, and it's it's been a pleasure. And this is you know I I had hoped I might learn a few things in this conversation, and I learned a lot, so it's really helpful for me. So thank you for having me, and and I would urge your your listeners to check out all those other episodes because they're really quite fantastic. You do an excellent job, and I'm looking forward to the the interviews you have coming up. 
Thank you so much, Brendan. Uh, thanks for being here. Have a good day and have a good future this year. Thanks for listening to the Audience Explorer podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at GetTheAudience and you can check out the blog at GetTheAudience.com. If you have any questions about this episode, reach out to me on Twitter or send an email to Matthias at GetTheAudience.com. If you want to support this podcast, please leave a rating in your favorite podcast player app. This will help other founders or creators to find this podcast about developing an audience for their product or service. Thank you very much for listening and see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.